Midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we talk about every episode of Call the Midwife, spoiler free, just for you. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat, not that kind of doctor, and this week we are talking about the seventh episode of season four of Call the Midwife. This episode was directed by Darcia Martin and written by Harriet Warner. This is Darcia Martin's first episode of Call the Midwife, but it is not her last. We're going to see her again. Harriet Warner has written a ton of episodes before, seven before. This isn't her last one. We've seen her writing quite a lot. Um, she most recently wrote the third episode of this season, which is the one with the gay husband. Right. Do you want to take it away, Jan? I sure do. We begin with our mature Jenny narration. She narrates about birth in the night and in the autumn, bringing light. Two pregnant women, Shirley and Marion, meet at the maternity home on a busy night and reconnect over the past. Shirley is much more excited about seeing Marion again. They both give birth to daughters. Fred walks his new friend Violet home, skipping as he leaves. A fire breaks out in the maternity home, and everyone is evacuated. Sister Evangelina brings out Shirley and Marion's babies. Later, when Shirley and Marion part, Marion is curt and cold to Shirley. Dr. Turner gives Tim his own, his old camera, for his very own. Nurse Crane tells Barbara to encourage incontinent patients to use the new laundry service. Later, Barbara arrives to a home where Sister Mary Cynthia is nursing a bed-bound patient, Mr. Mills. Mrs. Mills is upset by Barbara telling her that she can send her laundry out, implying that she can't take care of her husband. Patsy leaves Trixie to go out with Delia, and the two of them chat and long for a way to be together. Sister Monica Joan, Patsy, and Sister Winifred arrange for a Halloween parade and talk with a young girl, Glenda, who wants her mom to return as a ghost. So what do you want to talk about first? Well, I always like to start with the uh, mature Jenny voiceover. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about autumn, and we're talking about evening, and we're talking about... I mean... First of all, she says not for the first time, not for the first time this season about the midwives being always on duty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she talks about the season the uh, in dark autumn, birth sparks light and hope, um, which makes me expect that this episode is going to be about light and hope. Uh I don't think it is. Neither do I. I really don't think this opening narration talks about what the theme of the episode is. Because I think do think this episode has a strong theme. And this narration has pretty much nothing to do with it. <laughs> do you, do you want to uh, make your claim on what you think the theme is this early? Well, the strong theme throughout it is uh, children who 
are, are raised by parents who didn't necessarily aren't related to them biologically. Mm-hmm. It's an example we have again and again of love transcending biological imperatives. Yep. And that's in like almost every single story. One of the things I think you're right. I think it, we are much closer to what the episode is actually about when you say that. Um, and that brings me to one of the things I wanted to talk about first is Trixie, I mean, is Patsy and Delio, which is a little storyline that doesn't obviously fit that theme. Um, but I think it in some ways does fit that theme because it is uh, not about parents and children, but it is about um, love that doesn't follow societal expectations. And that's partly what I mean when I say biological imperative is some, yeah. might, some might say you know it is the biological imperative to be married to someone of the opposite sex and to have and to birth your own biological children and delia and patsy go against that and that's and love each other uh despite that being all around them as a societal pressure not as a yeah an actual and I, biological thing i really like that you're connecting it to the like why i mean they talk explicitly all about wanting to get married wanting to get married Mm -hmm. to each other wanting to be able to be out uh, in public together um delia talks about you know wanting to get married uh and like the assumption the unspoken in that is like to a man Mm -hmm. um just because she's tired um and it really is all about like uh, biological imperative, right? You you can't have babies, then you can't be uh, fulfilling your biological role in the world, mm-hmm. and that's really very appropriate in an episode that is all about uh, parents who aren't biologically related to their children. Mm-hmm. That in the episode is showing that. Uh, the episode isn't just showing that, like, there's other ways to be a person. Um, it's specifically even showing there's other ways to be a parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's also showing other ways to be a person, and I want to get to that eventually. But I like in this interaction between Patsy and Delia, they're, like, uh, together, and some guy comes to hit on them and is like, I'll buy you each a piece of cake. <laughs> and Delia, we don't like cake. Cake. <laughs> I like I it. She, I think she means something else there. The cake is a bit of a metaphor. <laughs> the cake is a lot. Um, I do really like that date that they go on. It is... Has this, like... Their relationship has been, like, explicitly stated. But I feel like this is the most that we really like. For anyone who is incredibly dense and, like, they're just good pals. This is like, no, they are in love. Delia would love to be able to marry Patsy, but they can't because it's 1950-whatever. Yeah, and is it... I didn't write down... I think it's Patsy who says, of course, yes, I want to get married. Mm-hmm. To you. No, Delia is the one who says that because Patsy looks heartbroken. Uh, when... When she says, I want to says, get married. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we get actually in dialogue on the screen, I want to get married to you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so there's no room for uh, misunderstanding. Yeah. Do you want to talk about, while we're talking about romance, do you want to talk a little bit about Fred and Violet? Mm-hmm. 
this is very sweet. Fred Violet. Fred uh, literally kicks up his heels. <laughs> it is so funny. Uh, he walks away. He walks her home and is so happy that he literally kicks up his heels. He's a softie. He's a softie and he's found someone who he really likes. I don't know that there's a lot more to say about it, but just to like, yeah. it's connected to the same, uh, like there's, I mean, we'll talk more about them as we go through the episode, but yeah. it's another romance to follow. It's another in this. romance. It's another, like, it's, there's, it's really about love. This whole episode is very strongly about love and all kinds of love. And this is, for Fred and Violet, this is about finding love again after both of their spouses have died. Both of the parents of their children have died. And so it's finding this new, like, new romance. And I mean, I'm trying to think, like, if I'm trying to connect it to back to what I've said in my mind this episode is about, which is biological imperative, there is no biological need for older people to remarry yeah. once they've already had their children and moved on except for love i think that's exactly right i think that's why it connects to the theme because if you like because if you are thinking about the biological imperative to have children fred and violet make just as little sense as uh patsy and delia mm-hmm. they're not going to have children so what are they doing together they shouldn't because uh, you know, like from yeah. that that uh, mindset. Yeah, exactly. I don't know where we're getting that mindset from, but like, no, it's, it's a straw some, man. I don't know. It's some kind of weird. Yeah, exactly. A straw man argument. But while we're talking about just those things, the other kind of little uh, storyline I want to address is Trixie in this section. Mm-hmm. Trixie, who is alone, who's left behind when Patsy goes out with Delia. Who... She, she says, I think you like her more than me. And the audience goes, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And Trixie uh, is drinking alone, yeah, we see, which again. is a bad sign. Yeah. Where she, like, she admitted that she had a problem, but she's still not seeking help for it. Yes. Which, yeah, there's a few... Actually, when you when you... Uh, say that out loud, I kind of like that um, the way that it isn't instantly she doesn't have a problem anymore once she recognizes she has it. Like, Mm -hmm. it, it, even recognizing that she has a problem and admitting she has a problem, that's the first step, not the last step. Mm -hmm. And so she hasn't gone further than that yet. I kind of like that we're not uh, jumping to the end Mm -hmm. of her recovery or or addressing her alcoholism yeah so the two big stories of the episode oh the other little thing is tim gets a camera yeah, i have nothing fun. particular to say about that at this uh, point yeah that eventually connects but we'll talk about that when we get to it um but the two big stories are shirley dent and marion smith and mrs mills and barbara which uh which do you want to Talk about. Let's talk about the Millses, um, because I just want to mention that Nurse Crane sends out Barbara to like go to all the incontinent patients and sign them up for this laundry service, and that leads us to Mr. and Mrs. Mills. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that whole plot line is just like, uh, we need something for uh, Nurse Crane to do, so let's give her this. She's so barely in the episode. Her and Trixie are barely in this episode. Yeah. And so they have to give them just, like, a couple of little scenes to kind of connect them to the main plots. 
<laughs> but uh, it's so Barbara to be like sunny and innocent and wide-eyed and like, you can send your laundry out. Why wouldn't you do that? We can help you. You're too old to be doing this and not like realizing until later how much she has offended Mrs. Mills and uh, upset the whole situation. (laughs) And Sister Mary Cynthia is like, is the only one she'll talk to. Like she, Barbara talks to her and she just like turns to Sister Mary Cynthia and is like, can you tell her? (laughs) Yes. Oh, Um, Mrs. Mills, who is, by the way, played by Mrs. Hudson from uh, the TV show Sherlock. Yes, she sure is. uh, Is, uh, we see more, like, lots more of her in the episode, but at this point we just see, like, her, uh, Barbara is right. She is struggling to keep up. uh, Mm -hmm. And also, like, it's fair enough, there is this free service to help why don't you take it but barbara is you're exactly so like lacking tact sometimes yes exactly (laughs) in the sunniest possible way yeah she's another character like uh uh sister um relentlessly optimistic (laughs) yeah sister winifred Mr. Mills, too, is also quite optimistic. He's ill and he's in bed, but there is definitely an optimism to him. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think maybe you see that later in the episode, but he is the, of the two of them, not the worrier. They are, again, I, you see this more through the episode, but we can say it right now. I really like the Millses. Mm-hmm. They're a very sweet couple. And they're... Uh, Another, like, they connect, obviously, to the same theme in the sense that, like, like uh, Fred and Violet, um, they are, like, it's another, it's another, like, example of love that is impractical. Hmm. (laughs) Or, like, you know, like, they have been together and they are together and they're helping each other and supporting each other. Uh, they are, I don't know that they're like a clear, maybe I said it's clear. Maybe, maybe and maybe this is where uh, Jenny's narration at the beginning does, because they're kind of the beacon mm. amongst all of these people of this love that lasts forever. Yeah. And yeah. So they can be that, that light to, to everyone. Yeah. I like that. They're like the future, even like Fred and Violet are uh, past parenting age, but uh, the Dents are past Fred and Violet's age. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you want to talk about uh, the Dents and the Smiths? Yes, let's let's talk about them. So uh, Shirley and Marion, but like Shirley is so excited. She calls her Goldilocks. She's so excited to see Marion and is like... We went to school together and Marion, you can tell, like, wants to pretend she doesn't even know her. Just like, and by the end is like, you know, school was a long time ago, surely. It's so sad because, yeah, you just know exactly, like, she's like, oh, I've moved on from school and you're still, like, in that school mode. And Shirley wants to catch up and Goldilocks is not interested. <laughs> yeah. She's like, are you on the telephone? Well, we're moving soon. Yeah. No, There's not no, much no. point. No. She's like, 
actively rude. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> poor, uh, poor Marion. Or poor Shirley, I mean. Yeah. We have the, uh, the bomb fear again. So this is, you know, kind of a constant theme throughout this season. Uh, just to kind of remind us that it's the Cold War, you know, that... Mm-hmm. There's a fire in the maternity home and someone, one of the patients is like, oh no, they dropped the bomb. Like, no, it's literally just a fire in the laundry room. Um, I told our uh, kid this week, by the way, about emptying uh, the lint trap to <laughs> because fires <laughs> in laundry rooms are a thing. They were like shocked. that like, oh, I, was... I, I thought it was just because lint will get on the clothes. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> the house can burn down. Yeah. Like, it's a big deal. I, I, I am, like, religious about cleaning the lint trap. <laughs> in fact, yeah, we just moved to a new house and I am like, I don't know. I don't like the lint trap in this dryer. I'm a little nervous about it. Um, so just <laughs> and like... I'm going to say it on mic. So if our house burns down, it's not my fault. I looked into the lint trap. And you'll, we'll all know that you were on top of it or exactly. tried to be. But like a laundry room is where there's a fire. It's yeah. by like laundry. I didn't think of it till right now, but like this is there's a theme of laundry. Oh, yeah, there's a little bit. That's interesting. <laughs> a motif more than a theme, but yeah. So the dents, yeah, they know each other from way back. They uh, have babies at the same time. There's going to be more in the future in the rest of the episode, but they like Shirley uh, is yeah. Like, I like Shirley and I don't like Marion. Shirley is so friendly and wants to be, to catch up and be friends. And Marion is clearly, uh, her husband is, is higher class and she is, wants to be higher class. And she like looks down her nose at, uh, at Shirley. Mm -hmm. And then in the fire, we don't actually... I don't think that we actually textually hear about it, but it's pretty clear in the direction that, like, the two babies are right next to each other and she picks them both up in the wrong hands. Yeah. Like, even when she picks them up, you can see it that she thinks that she has them. She flips, which is right and which is left because she's doing it with her other arm. Yeah. Um, Yeah, if you're paying attention, you see that you do see the switch, but... Only because I knew it was going to happen, but I, did I notice that? I think if I, you know, your first time watching this episode, you don't necessarily notice it. But it's right there. She absolutely switches them. It's funny, because I totally, when she picked up the first baby, was like, oh, she thinks that's in her right hand. Hmm. There you go. <laughs> Just the way that she does it. Is yeah. She, like, shifts around, you know? Yeah. And they, they were on the... I don't remember which is which, but, like, the dent baby was on the left, and she picks it up with her right hand. And then she gives them to the wrong... She gives the wrong baby to the wrong mother. Mm-hmm. We don't get confirmation that that has happened yet, but this yeah. is where it happens. This is where it happens. Uh, the last bit of this is uh, the the little side story of the young girl who oh, yeah. wants her mom to return as a ghost. Uh, they're having... I'm calling it Halloween, even though I don't know if they ever actually refer to it as Halloween. It's, you know, All Hallows' Eve or whatever. They are hollowing out turnips because we used to carve turnips before we carved pumpkins. I don't even know if they carve pumpkins in the UK. I feel like that's very, like, American, Canadian thing to do. Yeah. Anyway. We uh, carved a 
turnip once. I know we did because it's a tradition. It's an old tradition here too because turnips are very common here. They're um, much harder to carve than a pumpkin because they're not hollow. Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> like, have to like hollow it out. <laughs> um, so they're doing this whole uh, turnip walk and then and talking about ghosts and this little girl is like, "Will there be ghosts?" And they think, you know, oh, she's scared. She, you know wants is like frightened or whatever but no it's because she wants to see her mom and that changes their whole tone like the three of them patsy and sister winifred and sister monica joan are there kind of in one mode and then suddenly this little girl glenda uh makes them realize that ghosts to a child sometimes are like a scary thing and sometimes it's someone they know has died and in this case, it's her mother. Yeah. So we'll talk more about that when we get to the next section on her. We will. Barbara feels guilty about Mr. and Mrs. Mills, and so she agrees to help turn him to help with his bed sores. Fred turns out to be a cousin to Mr. Mills. He feels bad about not visiting, but Violet agrees to come with them. On their visit, she talks to Mr. Mills about her late husband Violet also, in that visit, sees a sore on Mrs. Mills's chest. She's hiding it from her husband and doesn't want to take away from his care. Barbara enters and helps her understand that she needs to go to the hospital. Sister Evangelina visits Marion and finds that her baby, Deborah, has a bluish tinge and they call for Dr. Turner. She is taken to the hospital where they discover she has a heart murmur and needs special care. Fred worries about Violet's late husband's memory looming too large, and he leaves instead of having coffee with her. Tim develops old film in his dad's camera to find pictures of his mom, but hides them from Dr. Turner. Sister Monica Joan talks to Glenda, the young girl who misses her mom. She is sure that Sister Monica Joan can communicate with her. Fred reveals that her mother isn't even dead, and then Sister Winifred visits the, her father to confirm it. Mrs. Mills is taken to the hospital and finds that she has cancer and needs surgery to remove it as soon as possible. Meanwhile, Mr. Mills gives Fred advice about Violet. So, like, let, I want to start with uh, Tim and the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have... Two ghosts of mothers. Yes, we do. Um, I I really like how this is done. Uh, Tim's mother is such a non-presence on this show. Mm-hmm. We never, or we very rarely uh, talk about her or even reference her. I don't even know what her name is. No, Maybe me neither. Out, but I don't remember. And I really like how this is done that like... Again, like, I'm thinking about what the script had. Like, there's no no dialogue. It's mm-hmm. not referenced in the dialogue at all. It's all just, like, he develops it and he looks at it and his father's at the door and he's like, oh, I'm busy. Um, he says that his finger's on the lens. They didn't yeah. develop properly. So there's no pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is clearly, like, yeah, he's... He is clearly having some feelings mm-hmm. about his uh, mother. 
I think that from what we've seen so far, we can assume that his mother died when he was quite young. He may not even really remember her. Yeah. Like in the pictures, he is a baby. Yep. And then uh, his dad was a single dad for a while. And then Sheila came into his life and she's become his mom. Yeah. And he called her, he starts calling her mom like right away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think this, I mean, this is obviously very connected to our whole theme of non-biological children. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will find, like, by the end, he'll overhear Sheila saying how much she loves Tim as if he was her own son. And, uh, and we find out in this part, too, that Glenda's mother not only yeah. isn't dead, ran off, but, but the man who's raising Glenda isn't actually even her biological father. Yeah. And she says early, like, um, she says when she wants her mother that, like, her father doesn't care about her because he's got his new wife. And it feels like such a sad, uh, story. And then, I mean, it is a sad story, but it feels like such a, like, nobody cares for this poor child, dead mother and neglectful father. And then they find her father and he's like... Of course I care about her. Yeah. He she feels people. like I don't care about her, but I've always loved her as if she was mine. Mm-hmm. And that's the context where we hear, oh, she's not his, is, isn't is like, she's not even mine. It's like, I've always loved her as if she was mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. It's a really sweet, and it's really like, as you say, the theme of like, the biological mother is not... I mean, like, yeah, biological parents aren't what's uh, where love comes from in this family. Mm-hmm. In this episode, really, but in this yeah. family. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it totally is, like, a, a, a parallel story to Tim in a smaller way. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of biological family... Uh, Fred's cousin, Mr. Mills is Fred's cousin, and I'm laughing because Fred is like, oh, I haven't visited him very much. And Violet's like, why not? And Fred says, I'm no good at the old chit-chat. <laughs> and Violet, I have in my in my notes, Violet and the audience, Fred. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fred is so good at chit-chat. He does nothing but chit-chat. Like, what are you talking about? You're no good at the old chit-chat. <laughs> Um, nonsense <laughs> so she comes with him mm-hmm. which and... is another sweet moment that like they're doing these things together it's clear that she really likes him yeah and then mrs mills tells fred privately like oh she's lovely mm-hmm. so like you know like it's obvious but it is not just obvious it's textual that the people around are like oh you two are courting yes exactly <laughs> oh, <the> courting <laughs> But Fred, uh, the way that she talks, that Violet talks about her late husband, uh, scares Fred off. Mm-hmm. And again, like ghosts. I mean, that's the other yeah. thing. Like this episode is about biological parents, but it's also about ghosts mm-hmm. because Tim has the ghost of his mother and Glenda has the ghost of her mother who turns out not to really be dead, but still is a ghost. 
and Fred uh, is feeling overshadowed by the ghost of Violet's late husband. Mm-hmm. Um, we have these like different ways of dealing with not not so much dealing with death as dealing with ghosts. Yes, right? that's true. That's true. Which is not the same thing. Mm-hmm. That the Fred and Violet story doesn't get resolved in this section, so I don't know what more to say about it right now. Do you have anything yeah. else to say about that part? No, I was going to talk about uh, Violet being uh, a part of the community just as mm. much as Fred is. When mm-hmm. she sees uh, the sores on Mrs. Mills' chest, she goes, oh, that's why you buy the napkins. Like, that's what you, you buy things at my store to help with this wound. Yes. And the heartbreaking thing of... Barbara saying, you know, oh, I have some dressing. And she's like, no, that's for, it's for my husband. You can't take it. Use it for me. Tommy. Tommy. Tommy and Gert are their given yeah. names. That's what it is. Anyway, uh, that like, you can't use it for, for me. And like, we have lots of dressing. It's okay. There is plenty enough care what for she, everyone. Yeah. What she specifically says is I shan't take from his care. Mm-hmm. And Barbara says, we have enough care for both of you. Yeah. And this is, again, like a a thing we've seen before on this show. And I uh, find it moving every time that, like, there is love enough and care enough and uh, support enough to go around. Mm-hmm. The The poverty of Poplar... And the memory of the pre-NHS times yeah. is always makes people feel like there can be no generosity in care. Yeah. And in with the socialized medicine and with the love that comes from Nanatis, there can be enough care to go around. And with the energy of <laughs> people like Barbara who are like... You need to visit him every two hours? And Sister Mary Cynthia's like, I don't know if I can do every two hours. And she's like, well, if I do the other one, then sure, we can do it. You <laughs> like, know? Like, doesn't Barbara have her own things to do? Yeah. <laughs> yes, but she can do more because yeah. she has so much energy and is relentlessly optimistic. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to actually mention the turning of Mr. Mills has bed sores. Uh-huh. And what helps relieve bed sores is to turn a patient and I actually have some personal experience with this, which is I was in the hospital uh, when I was 18 for 10 days uh, with a broken spine. And so I wasn't allowed to move on my own. I had to stay straight. But the nurses had to come and literally roll me over every, I think it was probably every two hours. It was every little while they would come and they would roll me over and my... Uh, and, but they were very overworked. And so my mom would get really frustrated that she felt like they weren't turning me enough to, to make sure I didn't get bed sores and things like that. And it's, it is really frequent, the amount you need to turn someone to make sure they don't get these things. So like mm. the cure for that has not changed. It's exactly the same, or at least it was the same in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Speaking of illnesses, the other big plot of the episode comes back here that the uh, 
Deborah, who is myth- who is Marion's uh, daughter, but is actually Shirley's daughter mm-hmm. biologically, is sick with a heart murmur, mm-hmm. and she's uh, yeah. Again, yeah, we sweet. get more later on, I guess, but that we just that's the development here mm-hmm. of like the the two babies born at the same time. They are switched. And one of them is sick. Mm -hmm. Which makes things even more complicated. Like it would have been a big enough deal if they were just, you know, switched to the end. Mm -hmm. But like, they're switched and one of them is sick. Yeah. All right, I'll finish off our recap and then we can get more into the switching. Yep. Sister Evangelina talks to Marion and mentions, and Marion mentions a birthmark which causes Sister Evangelina to look up birth records after Trixie mentions Shirley's baby missing hers. Sister Evangelina discovers that she has switched the babies. A check of blood types confirms the mistake. Both families are brought in to let... so they can let them know, and everyone is upset and angry. Mrs. Mills doesn't want to leave Mr. Mills for surgery, but he convinces her she needs to go. Shirley and her husband are in pain over the loss of their baby that they have grown attached to. Marion's husband thinks it's better for them to have a healthy baby and just move on. Meanwhile, at Nanatus, Sister Evangelina does dishes and cries, breaking a mug. Sister Monica Joan consoles her, using the mug as a metaphor. At the Halloween parade, Glenda looks for the ghost of her mom, but finds her dad instead, who lets her know how much he does care for her. Fred goes to install a lock on Violet's door, finding her packing up to leave. He locks the door and proposes. (laughs) She says yes. (laughs) Sheila talks to Patrick about the mixed-up babies, and then Tim volunteers his camera to take photos of the babies. Shirley and Marion meet at the hospital, both feeling conflicted about switching back. Marion doesn't trust Shirley with Deborah. Finally, Marion holds Jackie, and they all reconcile. Sister Evangelina prays to forgive herself, and mature Jenny narrates about light piercing the darkness as Mrs. Mills comes home to her husband. So this is the real meat of the episode. When yeah. There was a switch, and the switch is revealed. Yes, I. I mean, like... Always we know, there's no spoilers of the show, but we know what happens at the end of the episode. But I guess I've been talking all along about the switch, the switch, the switch. And it's only now that we actually, uh, viewers know for sure that this has happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And is that where we want to start? Let's start with that, yeah. (laughs) So like, the... I want to, if we're going to talk about the switch, I want to talk about Sister Evangelina first, Mm -hmm. because, like, she messed up, uh, Mm -hmm. and there are lots of, Sister Evangelina is so competent, and also fairly hard on people who aren't competent, um, and we see her here being very hard on herself, Mm -hmm. and this is like, is this the biggest actual mistake we have seen a midwife make like there's often you know stories of like well you couldn't have known maybe if you this maybe if you that 
but you can't doubt yourself. Like, we have that mm. kind of story. But this is like, no, there's no maybe. Yeah, she is the one who made the mistake. You made a mistake, and it was a big mistake, and mm. you made it. Yeah. Um, And I feel like it's a true and also a kindness that... Uh, um, uh, Sheila says, like, it wasn't yours alone because we were together. But it's also kind of not true. It was hers alone. Mm-hmm. And she knows that. And that's part of why Sheila's comfort doesn't comfort her. Mm-hmm. Um, and the moment of, like, her washing the dishes and the, the mug falls out of the dish rack and she starts, like, shouting at herself. Yeah. Useless. Uh, and so who comes to comfort her? Sister Monica Joan, mm-hmm. who we have so often seen the two of them, where Sister Monica Joan is thoughtless and uh, not competent, mm-hmm. and Sister Evangelina is frustrated with her, and to have Sister Monica Joan be the one comforting Sister Evangelina after Sister Evangelina made a thoughtless, made an error born of thoughtlessness. Yeah. It was really hit me. Yeah. I need to also mention in that scene, Sister Monica Joan comforts her, gives her a big hug, and then as she's leaving the kitchen, she just grabs a cookie out of the jar. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's just so perfect, Sister Monica Joan, <laughs> that she does something that's like so insightful and the exact perfect thing for the moment. And then it's like, Oh, yeah, I was also in here to grab a cookie (laughs) (laughs) from the cookie jar. She's always sneaking treats. (laughs) Yep. Um, And it's, yeah, I think it's a very moving exchange. It is. And then that Sister uh, Evangelina ends in prayer Mm -hmm. uh, her story. It's also, I, I, I really like it. Yeah. I like her whole story. I, I find it very moving. Mm-hmm. And then still talking about the babies, the switched babies. Mm-hmm. She also, just more about, slightly oh. more about Sister Evangelina, that uh, she may have made the mistake of switching the babies. She also noticed it. Yes. And did something about it immediately. Like, she didn't try and sweep it under the rug and say it didn't matter. She didn't try. She, like, was... As soon as the birthmark was mentioned, she starts kind of questioning and then she investigates and, like, knows instantly what she's done. Yep. She's not, uh, she's a smart person. Yeah, she's a smart person. And, like, I feel like uh, I said she's hard on people who make mistakes and she's hard on herself when she makes a mistake. And there's good and bad about that. Like, Mm -hmm. the good about that is she doesn't try to hide it. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't try to hide it from herself. She doesn't try to hide it from anyone. Yeah. She finds out immediately. She brings it to Sister Julianne immediately. She tries to make it right immediately. Yeah. Like, and we have seen both in this show and just in life, like, you make a big mistake, you try to hide it, mm-hmm. try to uh, uh, see what you can do to secretly undo it. And Sister Evangelina, part of her, like, character that is what makes her hard on other people is, like... No, face what has happened. Mm-hmm. And she holds herself to that standard. And that, in one way, is good. 
but also the like, she is so hard on herself, and we see it through the whole episode, and especially in the doing dishes, that she, uh, one mistake, a big mistake, like, don't get me wrong, but like, one mistake is, you know, when her sense of herself comes from her competence, uh, a mistake makes her feel useless. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In terms of the two babies, I find it such an interesting choice, a uh, uh, writing choice, that both parents want the sick baby. Hmm. Or both the mothers do. Both the mothers do. Yeah. Yeah. That you might, if you, like, you might expect that, like, I don't want this sick baby, the healthy one's mine. Yeah, well, that's Marion's husband. He yeah. says that, basically. Yeah. But Marion's husband is, like, both the husbands are non-characters. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> like, I mean, more than usual. Often yeah. we don't care about the husbands. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we don't. But, well, because it's called the midwife and yeah. it's about birth. And yeah. the mothers are the ones who give birth. But uh, the, um, the dense starts with uh, him being left out in the dark. <laughs> like, yeah. he comes to the door and they, like... We the camera focuses on him in the dark, mm. and then here too we have like uh, Marion's husband wants the healthy baby, and like okay, but also that's like a five second conversation, and the focus is on Shirley and Marion, and they both want yeah the sick baby. Mm-hmm. It's true, and I think it's a really interesting choice. Mm-hmm. There's not. A full conclusion with this story either which i don't know how i feel about yeah we don't know like we they switch back like yeah we assume that they switch back but it seems implied that they'll be in each other's lives somehow because they bonded with these babies and we have shirley and marion making up like um bonding at the very end and like uh um Shirley wanted to catch up and reacquaint, reconnect with Marion, and Marion didn't want to, but at the end, they kind of make up all of that. So there is an implication that, like, they are friends now again. Mm-hmm. Not even an implication. They are friends now again at the end, and they have these two babies to bond over, and they, we have a real emphasis on Shirley, uh... And her husband, like, love Jackie and don't want to give her up. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have Marion wanting Jackie, really. No. Not until she holds her, I feel. And there's it's where the husband is important for... I mean, like, the husband is important in the story for uh, the reflection that he casts on Marion because she says, I, I forget, I didn't write down the exact words, but she says something about, like, I can't let myself think about Jackie. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't want to think like her husband because she feels kind of like a sister of Angelina. She's, like, holding herself up to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't take the easy road. Uh, that's what you would do. <laughs> yeah. And we have... I didn't quite think of it till I'm saying it, but we have a bit like Sister of Angelina, Sister Monica Joan... 
mirrored in mm. Shirley and Marion that like the one who is hard on herself and holds herself to a high standard being kind of comforted by the one who doesn't. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that insight. Uh, Glenda's father shows up at the parade. Yeah. I love this moment where he he continues the lie, which, I mean, it might get found out eventually. These kind of secrets do tend to reveal themselves. But I think that it's a comforting lie and I'm kind of okay with it. Yeah, I'm... That he just, like, she wanted you to be happy and you're with me now and all that stuff. Like, it's really nice. Yeah... I don't, like, maybe this is a mistake. I don't see where it would help anyone to be like, your mother left you because she didn't love you. Yeah, exactly. You know? Uh, I think it's a kindness Mm -hmm. to be like, she's gone now, but you're with me. Mm -hmm. And that's where she wanted you to be. And I love you. Like... He Those just, are all true. He just needed a little reminder to let her know. Basically, yeah. like, it's just kind of a nice story where she was feeling like she wasn't really loved and he was just like muddling along trying to be the best dad he could and he'd kind of forgotten that she needed to like be reminded that he loved her. I really like their story. So, it's very sweet. Mm-hmm. And I think then Tim hearing that... Sheila talk about Angela and Tim as her own children that she wouldn't, you know, trade for anything else. And that's what Tim needed to hear at that moment was that he does have a mom. And the picture that he frames for... He takes a picture of their whole family Mm -hmm. that is an obvious mirror or an obvious, like, echo of the picture that he found Mm -hmm. with his uh, late mother. So we have, like, the ghost of his mother replaced by, or, uh, yeah, replaced by uh, Sheila. Mm-hmm. Because all they both needed was a, a reassurance mm-hmm. that the family that loves them loves them. Yeah. That their biological mothers aren't there, but they do have parents that love them. Mm-hmm. And okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have, do you want to talk briefly about, or, or at length if you want to, about Fred and Violet? (laughs) (laughs) They get engaged, yay! (laughs) I love his proposal, I wish you'd marry me. Why don't you ask me then? I just did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just so, like... It's just so bumbling Fred that he doesn't really know how to propose. And then that he locks them in accidentally. <laughs> I gave you half off that padlock because it doesn't have a key. Um, it's also but, like, are you kidding, Violet? You give half off a padlock without a key? Give 100% off. That's a useless padlock. <laughs> it's Fred, though. He could, he could have... She probably thought he was going to make a key because he's Fred. That's true. Um... I, yeah, I love this. This scene is very sweet and uh, very nice for Fred to find someone. Uh, they never actually say that they love each other. Hmm. It's all implied, which I think it's is true. interesting. That 
she earlier in the episode she's like we're too old to be messing about she's like do you like me and he's yes but but you've still, got you've got someone at, like you've got the I don't remember if he says it to her. He says it to Mr. Mills, his mm-hmm. cousin, that uh, she's got someone else that overshadows me. And Mr. Mills says, nobody's perfect. Love makes us that way. Love makes us that way. You have to open your heart to them first. Yeah. That's Then that's the other story is Miss, Mrs. and Mr. Mills, where she does go off and have the surgery and comes back to him. That she doesn't want to go and leave him, but he says, you know, I went off to war and came back and you can have your surgery and come back, basically. And and we yeah. have the Ms. Mills and baby Deborah both needing an operation that might be for nothing. Mm-hmm. Like we have an old woman and a young baby both needing an operation that might not help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ms. Mills, the interaction in... To, like, back up a little bit on her, the interaction in the doctor's office, like, you have cancer. Am I dying? Yes. Yeah. Even with the surgery? Yes. Yeah, you'll have longer with the surgery, but... You'll have more time and less pain, but you were still dying. Yeah. And she's always thought, like, oh, I thought he would go first because he's ill and everything. And he needs me. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to go first because he can't live without me. Yeah. And she doesn't, like, comes back to the beginning that, like, she wants to be needed. She needs to be needed. She needs to be useful to him. Yeah. And it is so painful not just to be, like, painful and and dying, but that she can't take care of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are... Uh, but he's all optimistic and and uh, supportive of her, and they're mm-hmm. another very sweet story. Yeah. Yes. I feel like that speech by him, nobody's perfect, love makes us that way, you have to open your heart to them first, like, that is the theme of the episode mm. stated right there. Yes, absolutely. Like, the ha- you have to open your heart to them is like, you open your heart to them first, and then they're perfect is also about adoption, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Why is Tim the perfect baby for uh, Sheila, or the baby? Why is Tim the perfect child? Why is Angela the perfect baby for Sheila? Because she opened her heart to them and that made them perfect yeah, for her. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The perfect family for her. Mm-hmm. And that's all through the episode. Yeah. <sighs> It's a good episode. I really liked this episode. I um, thought it was very uh, moving in mm-hmm. the sad parts, and it was very uh, sweet in the optimistic parts. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of it. Um, can I say something that I found in my research that has nothing to do with the episode, but interesting? Go ahead. <laughs> Which is, uh, with the babies who were switched at birth, I, of course, looked up some things about babies who have been switched at birth, and I remembered... In, like, the 90s, there was this famous switch to birth story, which you, listener, might remember, too, with the, there was two girls, uh, last name was Twig and Maze, and uh, they were switched to birth, and then one of them died at the age of nine, and then it was discovered 
that they had been switched. But um, the one girl, Kim, was raised, the one who lived, Kim was raised by uh, parents who uh, didn't, they were having trouble having kids and they only had the one daughter, whereas the girl who died had uh, like eight older siblings. And it turned out, it was revealed not that long ago, in the past 10 years or so, that uh, the nurses actually switched them on purpose because the sickly baby could go, shouldn't go with the mom who was not, who was like so desperate for a baby, but the parents with the eight kids could get the sickly baby. And I, having heard that story about like, oh, they switched to birth babies. That was like the most famous story. I was like, that was a really sad thing that happened. But then to find out that like, Actually, the nurses did it on purpose. It was horrifying. So if you didn't know about that story, like, or if her, or you remember, like me, there was like a made-for-TV movie about the Twig and Mays families. Uh, now you know even more that, like, what the heck? They switched them on purpose. That they, yeah. And that's why there was like big lawsuits and stuff. Uh, you know? Jeez, Louise, as there should be. Yeah. That's my, that's my little foray into like sometimes <laughs> I go down a research rabbit hole with this. Uh, Sister time. Evangelina did not switch them on purpose because no, she's very good. She's good. She's exactly. good. <laughs> so Jen, what is your favorite part of this episode? Um, my tiny favorite part is is Sister Monica Joan grabbing the cookie. <laughs> but my my actual favorite part, um, I think it's I really like Patsy and Delia. I really like Delia saying, like, I do want to get married. I want to get married to you, stupid. <laughs> you yeah. Know? I don't know if she says stupid, but something along those lines. I think that has to be my favorite moment because I love Patsy and Delia. What about you? I'm going to uh, take mine from the little one that you had, which is you like Sister Monica Joan grabbing the cookie. I love the exchange between Sister Evangelina and Sister Monica Joan. Mm-hmm. Uh I always love their exchanges. Their interactions are one of my favorite parts. Uh, always. And in that case, Sister Monica Joan being Sister Evangelina's comforter. Uh, I really liked it a lot. I thought it was a great moment in the episode. I really was moving. I thought it was a great use of both characters. I just really loved it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, so that is our recap of this episode. If you have anything to say, if I blew your mind with the switch to birth thing, or <laughs> or you'd love to talk to us about anything in this episode or any other episode, where can you find us, Paul? You can find us on Twitter, at Poplar Opinion. You can email us, poplar at clockworksacademy.com. You can uh, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. And if you do, that would be wonderful. We would really appreciate it. And you can talk to us in the uh, Discord channel for this podcast, which there will be a link to in the notes to this episode. I love it when people talk to us on that Discord. It's so Me much fun. Me <laughs> too! Uh, thank you very much for joining us on this episode and listening. I have been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. Thank you.